in our last study, the Apostle Paul had addressed those who were saying, listen, the doctrine of salvation by faith alone can only lead to people not taking holiness seriously. So to stop people abusing the freedom they have in Jesus, we need to establish a whole bunch of rules to to help people live the right way. Because otherwise they're just gonna go off the rails. And we heard Paul say, essentially, no, we cannot allow even a little bit of legalism to become married to the gospel because even the smallest amount of legalism will quickly spiral out of control and before you know it, you'll be back to where we were before the cross, hopelessly trying to earn salvation by good works. The gospel must remain pure and have nothing added to it We are saved by faith in the grace of God alone. But now in today's study, Paul is going to address that person who says, or that person who teaches, well, because all of our sins have been forgiven, we can now live however we want, however we think is right. We're free. And you might think, Jeff, like who would would actually say that? Well, number one, every teenage boy ever, unless something else is explained to him when they understand salvation by faith alone. But secondly, there are always, always people. I hear it all the time, people who are subscribing to some teaching that, well, since we are the righteousness of Jesus, I mean, we have the righteousness of Christ, then, then it's really impossible for us to sin. Because no matter how much we sin, it's automatically been forgiven. So we actually can't even sin no matter what we do. I hear that a lot more often than you would think. This is a real, real issue. So let's dig into chapter 5, verse 13 of Galatians and see what our brother, the Apostle Paul, has to say about that type of thinking. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty only, and then underline this, do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't use the fact that all your sins are forgiven as an excuse to sin freely and devote your life to pleasing your sinful nature. The Greek word that's used there for the word opportunity refers to a central military base from which operations would be launched. So Paul is saying, don't use salvation by faith alone as a theological springboard from which you launch a life of unrestrained sinful living. The liberty, this is gonna be your first fill-in, the freedom that the gospel calls us to is not liberty to sin, it's liberty from sin. The liberty that the gospel calls us to is not liberty to sin, but liberty from sin. The freedom Jesus gives us is not the freedom to do what we want. Because think about it, we already have the freedom to do what we want, don't we? The freedom that Jesus gives us is the freedom to do what God wants, which is not a freedom that we have by default. When we're born, we're born controlled by our flesh. We're controlled by our sin nature. That's our default setting and it makes it impossible for us to do what God calls us to do. Impossible for us to live the life that God calls us to live. And you might say, well Jeff, it's not really freedom if all it's meant to do is make me do what God wants me to do. Wouldn't it be freedom if I was doing just what I wanna do and more of that? We've talked about this in our previous studies, but it's worth repeating. Everybody is serving a God. Everybody's serving a God. Consciously or unconsciously, everybody's serving a God. There's a motivation, there's a fear, there's an insecurity, a desire. There's something 
that calls the shots at the highest level of decision making in our lives. There's something that is the filter through which we make the biggest decisions in our lives and that's true for everybody, whether they realize it or not. And whatever God we serve controls us. We become a slave to whatever God controls us and every single one of us is serving a God. Every single person is a slave to something. The question is what, the question is who. But as we said last week, Jesus is the only God who sets those who serve him free. He's the only God whose agenda for you, his agenda for me, is to set us free from being enslaved to those lesser gods that simply use us up and wear us out, but never satisfy our deepest needs. Jesus knows that he's the only one who can satisfy our deepest needs. He also knows that he's the only God who wants the best for us, who knows what's best for us, and actually has the power to do what is best for us. Simply put, if everybody serves a God, and they do, the very best thing that God could do for us is to call us to serve the God who would be best for us. And he is that God. So he calls us to serve him, and by serving him, we become free. This is why when you read the Bible, if you've ever had the thought, well, isn't it egotistical for God to tell us to worship him, to tell us to glorify him, to honor him? And the reason it's not is because everybody's worshiping something. Everybody's worshiping someone. Everyone's bowing down to something. And God knows that he is the only one worth bowing down to because he's the only one who can set us free and really give us the best life. So if he loves us, he has to call us to do what's best for us and he is best for us. That's why in love he calls us to worship him because if we're not worshiping him, we're worshiping a lesser God. We're worshiping a lesser God. Now in this letter to the Galatians, Paul is beginning to hit both extremes on either side of the gospel. Make a note of this. He's saying on the one side, if we fall into legalism, we lose our freedom. If we start just living by rules, living by checklists, we lose our freedom. But on the other side, if we use our liberty as a license to sin, as an excuse to sin, then we abuse our freedom. We take advantage of our freedom. Ever since the gospel was first preached, there have been people who have falsely taught that the freedom Jesus gives us allows us to do whatever we want, whatever seems right to us in any given situation. That's not a new thing. People were teaching that from day one. It's not a new thing because it's motivated by people's desire to sin and people have always wanted to sin. So there's always been a person to give this kind of false teaching and there's always been an audience eager to hear this kind of false teaching. The Apostle Peter, though, had a few things to say about these types of false teachers. I'll read to you what Peter said in 2 Peter 2. Speaking of these false teachers, he said, for when they speak great swelling words, I love this phrase, great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh. So they, they speak these words that sound sophisticated, but they're completely empty, and they're designed to appeal to people's flesh. Like, oh, I like the sound of that, that I can do whatever I want and still be a Christian. Oh, I like that. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, while they say this is gonna set you free, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, 
The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Peter's saying these false teachers, listen, if they were truly comprehending the gospel, if they heard the gospel and they understood it, and then after understanding it, they went back and said, no, but I really want to sin, so how can I change the gospel message so that I can keep on sinning? Peter says, says, listen, if they actually understood the gospel and then rejected it and then perverted it and began teaching a false gospel, he said, it would have been so much better if they had never heard the gospel at all. Because at least when they stand before God and God judges them, God will say, well, you didn't understand the full gospel, so there's gonna be some leniency. This way, they fully understood it, they rejected it, they perverted it, and then they preached a false gospel. Peter's basically saying, I I wouldn't wanna be you standing before God one day. Jude wrote this about those same apostate type teachers, it's on your outlines. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says, says, listen, God knew they were gonna do this before the world was even made. These men were condemned before the world was even made because what they do is they take the grace of God and they use it as an excuse to sin even more. But Jeff, I'll still be saved. I mean, even if I sin, right? Well, absolutely. You're saved by faith in the grace of God alone, but you would be a fool to live for the flesh. You would be a fool. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Corinthians on your outlines. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. In other words, not all things build me up. You can do whatever you want, but if we live for the flesh, we still have to deal with the consequences of living for the flesh. It's not like you become a Christian and now you can sin and there's no natural consequences. On the contrary, in James 1, we're told the truth plainly. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see, living for the flesh brings in sin which leads to death in whatever area of life you surrender to it. So you can take God's word for it or you can just test this out in your own life and you'll discover it's true either way. Sin always leads to death, always. In relationships, in money, in job, family, whatever area you choose to pursue sin, death is going to follow. There's no question about it. You're free to sin. You're always free to sin, but you're not free from the consequences of sin, which is death. So why why would you want to sin? Living for Jesus is the most fulfilling way to live here and now. Now, two more quick reasons that it's not good to use liberty as a license to sin. And we're not gonna get into details on these. There's not time, but I'd urge you to think about these a little bit more this week in your own studies. Firstly, when we use liberty as a license to sin, we're showing great scorn toward the work of Jesus on the cross because Jesus bled and died to free us from sin, to pay for our sin. And we're gonna turn around in response to that and sin even more? God forbid that we would treat the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross so callously. And then secondly, living using grace as a license to sin 
means wasting your life and the opportunity to live for eternity. When we get to heaven and we see the rewards that Jesus is gonna be distributing for faithfulness, if we've wasted our lives on sin, I promise you this, we will say, I was such a fool to trade temporary destructive pleasures for eternal blessings. Eternal blessings. We'll say, I was such a fool. And there's more reasons we could talk about, but the big point is this. You're free to sin, but you're not free from the consequences of sin, presently or eternally. And if you choose to live for your sinful nature, this is what I've learned just from observation over life, my life and the lives of others. When you choose to live for your sinful nature, nobody gets away with it, ever. Nobody's outsmarting God or taking advantage of the grace of God and escaping consequences. The natural consequences always catch up to you, always. Nobody gets away with anything. And you'd be making a fool's choice to say, I'm gonna use the grace of God as a license to sin. And every time we talk about this, I'd just like to point out to those of you who are parents that it's so important to explain this to your children. Don't just talk to them about things that are right and things that are wrong, but explain that there's a way that leads to life and blessing, and there's a way that leads to curses and death. Help them understand the benefits of living for the Lord so that they understand, hey, if you go off to college, you move out the house and, and we're not around, it's not about right and wrong, it's about the fact that whether mom and dad are around or not, if you make these types of decisions, you're gonna get your heart broken in relationships over and over again. If you make these types of decisions, you're gonna end up in a stable relationship that's gonna be a blessing to you for the rest of your life. If you make these decisions, these will be the consequences. If you make these decisions, these will be the consequences. So that our children understand our greatest goal isn't for them to be good boys and girls. Our goal for them is to experience and live in the blessings and the goodness of God. We're not trying to hide anything from them or keep them from something fun. That's not the goal. So that they present well in public, that's not the goal. The goal is that they would live under the blessings of God. That's what we want for them. Our society is determined to have as much freedom as it can get in every sphere of life possible. And I use the term freedom loosely. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our society is, we're, we're completely mad with freedom right now. I can be anything, I can do anything, and not only can I do it, but you have to applaud me as I do it as well. And I was just thinking, I was writing this, as a society, you know, how's it going? How's it going? Are we any freer? Is there a great awakening of consciousness going on in our society? Not at all. The reality is that the more we pursue doing what we want in the name of freedom, here's what we found. We found that we now have unparalleled mental illness, unparalleled levels of depression, unparalleled levels of anxiety and social disorders. The more freedom we have, literally the more problems we have as a society. Practically, since its inception, just think about this again, the great champion of sexual liberation in the modern era has been Hollywood and the entertainment industry. And then it just bears repeating, as the Me Too movement began to explode, it's so ironic that we began to find out that those same companies and studios and offices that were championing sexual liberation through entertainment were in fact bastions of sexual abuse and immorality. That's where things were the absolute worst. And the hypocrisy and the obvious 
fallacies and the messages our culture is perpetrating and trying to sell us are, are so obvious to anyone willing to look with honest eyes that in the name of sexual liberation, we've pursued all sorts of things, but, but nobody's actually any more free. There's just more abuse, more selfishness, more people exercising power in a perverted manner, more people taking advantage of others, less commitment, more using of people. So make a note of this. The ability to do whatever you want does not determine your freedom. The God you invite to rule your life determines your freedom. The ability to do whatever you want does not make you free. The God who rules your life determines whether or not you're free. You see, if you use the freedom Jesus gives you to sin, then while your salvation is secure, you'll still be going back to serve another God in this life. And that God's going to enslave you, he's going to put you in bondage. Whether it's lust or insecurity or materialism, you're gonna be in bondage. When we persist in a sin, when God says, I want you to give that up, I want you to be free, and we say, no, I'm gonna keep doing this, we find that as we say, I'm gonna keep doing this, even though we think we're exercising our freedom, we actually have less and less choice in the matter every time it comes around, don't we? And the ultimate manifestation of that with any sin is addiction. We end up in the point of addiction where we have almost no choice at all anymore. We're being so fully controlled by our sin. But almost everyone who ends up in that situation, and you know this if you've been there, you got into that situation because you were thinking, I'm free to do what I want. I'm gonna exercise my freedom. I'm gonna do this. And before you know it, you don't actually have any freedom. You're being controlled by the thing that you thought you were choosing to do. Jesus said it like this, it's on your outlines. Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the irony is the more that we assert our self-centered freedom, the more we become enslaved to sin. And it's not only the bad things that are the issue, but, but also the good things in life that become over-elevated in our lives. These things that are good, but that we elevate all the way to the place of God in our lives. Because you can become a slave to your marriage, to your kids, your career, even your ministry, if it overtakes the place of Jesus in your life. And if any of those things do, then a tragic inevitability unfolds. I'd really urge you to tune into this because I see this all the time. I've experienced this in my own life, making this mistake. But here's the tragic inevitability. Because none of these good things, even though they're good, can do what God does, because none of them can actually satisfy your deepest needs the way that God can, what happens is you begin to inevitably find yourself disappointed and disillusioned by those good things in your life. They're good things, but they're not God and they can't give you what God can give, so you become disappointed in them. You actually might even begin to become bitter toward them. You might even begin to hate them. But when God is in his rightful place, then all those other good things can be enjoyed in their rightful place as blessings rather than God's. And this is why giving your life to be led by Jesus is the only path to true freedom. And it's why Jesus said just two verses after he said, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. He said this, he said therefore, he said this is why if the son, speaking of himself, 
If the Son makes you free, then you'll be free indeed. Translation is this, if anything else is what you're looking to for your freedom, you're gonna end up a slave. You're gonna end up in bondage. But if the Son sets you free, then you're truly free. You're truly free. Well, I think that was a good way to get through the first half of verse 13, and I think we're ready to plow on in this furious rate of speed to the rest of verse 13, where Paul goes on and he says, but through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. And I would just urge you as you meditate on this verse, don't miss the through love part. If you try and just do the serve one another part without the through love part, you're not gonna be able to keep it up. You're gonna get bitter. You're gonna be, feel like you've been taken advantage of, but through love serve one another. That's a different story. When the spirit of God is ruling our lives, this is how he leads us to live, naturally. The Holy Spirit that resides in every believer, in you and I, is the spirit of Jesus. And he's always working to make us more like Jesus. This is why when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he made this exact point. Should be on your outlines. He said, let this mind be in you, underline in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, underline in Christ Jesus. So in other words, let this be the way that you think. It's the way that Jesus thought, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He says, remember how extreme Jesus was in the way that he served us. He, he gave up the glory of heaven to come to the earth as a man to serve the men that he had created. Or perhaps you remember the time the disciples got into a dispute about who was greatest. Let's put that on the screen. It says this in Luke 22. Now there was also a dispute among them, among the disciples, as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he, Jesus, said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus is saying, listen, in my kingdom things are very, very different. And he's making the blunt point. He's saying, I'm God and I'm among you. And I'm not the one sitting at the head of the table. I'm the one serving. In my kingdom, things are very different. In the kingdom of God, serving is what power looks like. And as you're led by the Spirit to live a life of service, you're set free. This is the wonderful thing. You're set free from the lust for power and position that controls so many people. You're set free from the pursuit and hunger for popularity, notoriety, and, and acclaim. If you're an A-type personality, this is what it means if you're an alpha type personality, the spirit of God as he grows you in Christ-likeness will free you from having to be the man or the woman in every situation. If you're someone who's always bitter or upset because you feel chronically underappreciated by people, the spirit of God will free you from the need for constant acknowledgement and constant affirmation. The freedom of God is so powerful because here's what it's doing. 
It's taking control of us away from our flesh, but it's also taking control of us away from other people, and it's giving it all to God. It's giving it all to God. Instead of us desperately craving certain responses and things from other people, we find our worth in God who never fails to assure us that he loves us or sees us or hears us or has time for us or cares for us. And when that happens in our lives, something incredible happens. Our relationships with people stop being transactional. In other words, it stops being about, well, I have a relationship with you because you have this thing that I need. I really need affirmation. I just crave affirmation. And so I have a relationship with you because I need affirmation from you and I'll give you whatever you need in order to get that affirmation. Instead of our relationships being transactional, we can actually genuinely love people, even difficult people, because we don't need to get something back because we're getting what we need from the Lord. You see, my flesh says in relationships, it says, well, I mean, I've asked these people about their lives dozens of times, how they're doing, trying to show that I care, and they, they've never even asked me, like one time. It just doesn't even cross their mind at all. They're such uncaring people. I'm done with them. But the Spirit says, well, I have the Lord. We talk about my life all the time. So that, that need for me to feel cared for is taken care of in my relationship with Jesus. I don't need other people to do that. So I can love them, I can care for them, I can serve them, and I don't need to get something back. It's not a transactional relationship. I have all I need in my relationship with the Lord. It's powerful, write this down. When the Lord meets all our needs, we are freed from transactional human relationships. And we're empowered to love people more like Jesus. We're empowered to love people more like Jesus. I would just urge you on your own time to, to spend some time thinking about, are there relationships where you are bitter because you don't feel like you're getting what you should? And just spend some time asking the Lord, is this a transactional relationship in an unhealthy way? Am I bitter toward this person because I want them to give me something I'm supposed to be getting from you, Lord? Lord, help me just to love them. Help me just to serve them without needing to get something back. And guess what? The more we're able to serve people without needing something in return, the better our relationship becomes. The more of God's blessings we experience in our relationships because we stop expecting things from people that God designed us to get from him. And we begin to be able to appreciate the unique things about people the good things that God has put in them. And we can enjoy those blessings because we're not focused on the things that they're not doing. In verse 14, Paul says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this should jog our memories, take us to Matthew 22 in the Gospels. I'll read it to you. It says, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked Jesus a question to test him and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus pulled, interestingly, both of those commandments from the Torah, from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. And Paul references one of those same commandments to make the point 
that his message on Christian freedom, his whole message of salvation by faith alone, is not based on the claim that the commands of God don't matter anymore. On the contrary, says Paul, the gospel actually sets us free to fulfill the essence of God's commands for the first time. Loving God and loving people. The Spirit of God enables us to love God and love people in a way that we never could before on our own strength. In the glorious irony we've seen before in Galatians, the person who lives under the grace of the gospel ends up fulfilling more of the law than the one who lives under the law. Because those who live under the grace of the gospel have the power of the Holy Spirit in them, empowering them to love and serve God and people in a way that people couldn't when they were living under the law. In Romans 13, Paul writes, he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Now Paul says, if Christians don't use their freedom to love and serve one another, here's what happens, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. The original Greek makes it clear that Paul's not saying this might happen, he's saying this will definitely happen with absolute certainty. And his point was that if instead of loving and serving each other, they were embracing legalism and criticizing each other for not following man-made rules or being circumcised, if they were doing things like creating a class system in their churches and refusing to associate with those who didn't go under the law, Paul was saying, hey, if you're doing that, if you're becoming a legalist who devours others, just know that you're gonna be devoured too. It is guaranteed by the scriptures. It is absolutely guaranteed. The way you love people, the grace you show people, or the way you don't love people, and the way you don't show them grace will come back around to you, the Bible says. Because even if you don't ever think that you'll need that grace, that you'll need that kindness, you will. You will. I guarantee it. And so Paul says, guys, remember how sowing and reaping works. Remember how it works. Don't bite and devour one another. So what's the solution? Well, it's at this point that well-intentioned people many times have said, so, I mean, you see, Jeff, you're just making my point even more. You gotta have rules in place so that people don't go crazy with the freedom they have in the gospel. If people believe they're made right through faith in God and not through anything they do, they're, they're just gonna sin like crazy. So we gotta put some boundaries in place. The law says do this, but it doesn't give you the power. It doesn't give you the ability to actually do it, but the gospel does. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into us and gives us a source of power we didn't have before, the power to live free from the control of sin. Now when Moses was on Mount Sinai in the presence of the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights, tells us something very interesting in that account. It tells us that he didn't eat or drink. And the point is this, he didn't do that to say, oh, I'm gonna impress God by not eating or drinking for 40 days while I'm on this mountain with him. The reason was just that he was completely preoccupied 
with the presence of the Lord. Eating or drinking didn't even cross his mind. He was so distracted by the presence of God. And yes, God also did a miracle in sustaining him through that time. Recall the words of the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and when you do that, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is the kind of idea that Paul is trying to conjure up when he says in verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The original Greek means, means do it habitually. Do this as a way of life. Keep on walking in the spirit. I'm gonna tie this together in a second here. At any given moment, we're walking by the spirit or we're walking by the flesh. It's always one or the other. And the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us to walk in righteousness. Even a new believer who knows nothing of the scriptures receives the Holy Spirit when they give their life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit in them is gonna call them to live for Jesus, is gonna call them to live righteously. They're gonna feel that from the get-go. The Spirit is God's strengthener and teacher who's in every believer from the moment they give their life to the Lord. That's all true and good, but what's especially important here is what Moses experienced on Mount Sinai and what the hymn was singing about. It's Paul's incredible insight, and if you take one thing from today's message, make it this, write this down. The key is not living to avoid the flesh. The key is to pursue living in the spirit. It's not about living to avoid the flesh, it's about pursuing living in the spirit. I really believe that trying to live by denial is unsustainable. It's unsustainable. You want the most obvious example? It's diets. You can never say this to someone because they're always so excited when they're on a new diet and they're like two weeks in, but they're like, I'm seeing amazing results and you're like, what are you doing? I'm just avoiding every food that tastes good. And you're thinking, they're like, no bread, no cheese, uh, no candy, no chocolate, no ice cream, no happiness. It's very simple. And, and the thing I just know right away now when someone says that is I'm like, it's completely unsustainable. You're going to be exactly the same weight you were before you started this diet one year from now because what you're trying to do is completely unsustainable. If you just take a diet and I'm like, all this diet is, guys, is you just can't have bread. Guess what you're gonna think about all day? All day. You know what's so good? Bread. Remember bread? Oh, I remember bread. Bread is so good. I love bread so much. You know, you're, you're just gonna walk by restaurants that have breadstick and like, you're going to be licking the window, just looking in, dreaming of happiness. Because as soon as the whole plan is not doing something, as soon as the whole plan is denial, all you can do and think about is that. The Bible even says this. What does it say? It says when the law was given, it actually made us want to sin more. The law was like a sign on the grass that says stay off the grass. And suddenly you're like, that's some nice grass. That looks really soft. Green, that is some nice grass. And all you want to do is walk on it. You wouldn't have wanted to unless the sign was there. But as soon as the sign's there, you can't think about anything else. It's not sustainable if your whole goal is, oh, I'm going to walk in the spirit by avoiding the flesh. I'm just going to avoid the flesh. 
It's like, well, well, good luck because you're, you're living in it. So this is going to be a little bit of a problem here. Trying to live by denial is unsustainable. It's far better to aim for something. This is just what, what I found in my own life. If, if my whole goal for trying to get healthier was just not eating certain things, I think I would be miserable. But if you do something else, if you say, I'm, I'm going to begin exercising and I'm going to focus on doing that thing, it's a lot more positive and a lot more sustainable than saying my whole plan is to not do that thing. Because that's all you're gonna think about. But if your plan is to do something constructive and proactive, the whole experience is much more positive. And you eventually begin to say, I'm not as interested in that stuff as I used to be because I'm really interested in this stuff over here now. This is what Paul is talking about. He's saying the key is not trying to suppress the flesh. Instead, it's surrendering to the spirit. It's the better way. It's not about struggling against the flesh. It's about submitting to the spirit. That's what it's about, pursuing Jesus. When someone says, man, man I just, I, I just want to clean up my life. I just want to stop doing this and I want to stop doing this. Man, those are great things. But where are you going to get the power to do that? Pour yourself into your relationship with the Lord. Pour yourself into studying the word. Pour yourself into worshiping God and getting to know him. And, and the more of him you know, you're just going to find yourself not craving those things in the same way. But if you're, what the devil says, this is the devil's favorite trap, is he says, no, 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 it's good you want to clean your life up, but you know, before you go back to church, I mean, but before you really get involved in your relationship with the Lord, why don't you just neaten yourself up a little bit first? You know, get some of those things taken care of so you can feel a bit better about yourself when you go to church. And it's always a trap because it never works. It never works. You can't clean yourself up. You come to the Lord, you pour yourself into your relationship with the Lord, and then the rest of that stuff, man, that just begins to happen naturally because your desire for it begins to wane and weaken and its hold over you begins to weaken. To walk in the spirit is to have your thoughts turned toward God, to have him involved in your thoughts throughout the day, to converse with him, to involve him in your emotional processing throughout the day, to involve him in your decision making. It's Colossians 3.16 where we're told, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Then in verse 17, Paul says, Here's why, here's why you need to walk in the spirit, make that your focus. For the flesh lusts or it wars against the spirit. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. The idea is that your spirit knows what you should do for the Lord, but your flesh gets in the way of you doing it. And this is the dilemma of living outside of the spirit, trying to live by the law. You have no power to do the things that your spirit is saying you should do. You become aware of what you should do by the law, but you don't have the power to actually do it. And so you live in conflict, you live in shame, you live in condemnation. And Paul famously elaborated on this when he talked about this to the Romans and he said, like, like this is the situation. When you're not walking in the spirit, this is the problem. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. 
For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And Paul's saying that this is the problem. Outside of the spirit of God, outside of the victory Jesus gives us, you're just in a situation where you know what you should do but you've got no power to do it. But when you walk in the spirit, you actually have the power to begin living out the life that God is calling you to live. So how do you walk in the spirit? What do you do with this conflict between spirit and flesh? I'm just gonna describe one thing because there's a million different ways I could break this out but I don't wanna lead us back into legalism because we can end up back there like that. Well, how do you walk in the spirit? Well, it's actually really simple, guys. I got a list of 10 things you need to do right here so that you can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh and we're immediately walking back in the flesh again because we're trying to do stuff. So how do you actually walk in the spirit? Well. We do have to begin forming patterns of behavior, but really one pattern of behavior. And it's surrendering to the spirit. And what does that mean? I'm gonna put it this way. It's saying yes to the spirit over and over and over again, day by day by day. The things the spirit calls you to do, it's just beginning to say yes. When you're called to forgive, you do it. You don't put it off, you do it. When you're called to apologize, you do it. When the Spirit calls you to serve, you say yes. When he calls you to give, you say yes. When he calls you to trust, you just say yes. And you will not believe the miracles and the testimonies that God will work in your life if you will just say yes. He's not saying I need you to come up with a strategy, I need you to come up with a plan, with a formula. The Spirit is just saying, I'm looking for men and women who will say yes to me. Doesn't matter how young, doesn't matter how old, will you say yes? And when you begin to say yes, you are walking in the Spirit. You will find yourself walking in the Spirit. So write this down. Walking in the Spirit means saying yes to his leadership over our lives, moment to moment moment to moment, just saying yes over and over and over again. And then in verse 18, last verse of the day, Paul says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Why are you not under the law if you're led by the Spirit? Because as we've discovered before, to live by the law is to live by the flesh. And as Paul has been hammering throughout this letter to the Galatians, you're either living by the flesh or by the Spirit, but never both at the same time. So if living by the flesh means living by the law, if living by the law means living by the flesh, and you're living by the spirit, then you're not under the law. You can't be. It's logically, theologically impossible. If you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I'm gonna say this in closing. You know, the, the sin that is underneath all sins, the motivating factor underneath all sins is always a lack of trust in God's grace and God's goodness. We sin because we believe we found a way that will be better for us than what God is doing or what God has promised us. Or we don't trust that God will actually do what he said he would do. We don't actually trust that his ways are best. The sin underneath all sins is always a lack of trust in God's grace and God's goodness. And that's what leads us to to serve false gods, lesser gods, elevate these lesser gods to the position that only God should be in. 
And so if you're doing that this evening, I I just wanna call you to repent and to push the reset button and to make sure that the Lord is the one on the throne of your life, that you're not serving a lesser God, that you haven't elevated something good to the position of God. Because in the end, you're gonna end up hating that thing because it cannot be God and it will let you down if you expect it to be God. Then secondly, walking with Jesus means being led by his spirit. Jesus is not our co-pilot. The Holy Spirit's not our co-pilot, he's the pilot. He's setting the course, he's setting the destination, he's setting the waypoints, he's establishing every part of the journey. He is the one to be in charge. And so I wanna ask, is there any area of life where you're consciously choosing to say no to the Spirit's leading? You wanna walk in the Spirit, but you know that you're saying no to God about something he's called you to say yes to him on. If you're doing that, just change. Just change and begin to say yes, even this evening. And our prayer should simply be for hearts that willingly obey the Spirit of God. Because he's, all, he's always leading us. He's always guiding us. The question is always, will we say yes to the way that he's leading us, or will we say no? So with that, let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you so much that you do lead and that you do guide all the time and you don't desire us to go through life aimlessly. But Lord, we, we also confess that as you lead and guide us, sometimes we don't wanna hear the destination that you're calling us to go to. Or we don't like one of those waypoints that you've decided to establish on the journey. And sometimes we say no and this evening, Lord, we. We want to confess, every single one of us, that we trust you and we love you and we know that we know that we know you want what is best for us and you're always doing good for us. So Father, I pray that you would just stir faith in every one of us that if any of us are saying no to you in any area of life, this evening we would change, we would repent and we would say yes. And Father, if if we're saying yes to you right now, if we're walking in the Spirit, help us to continue doing that, Lord. Help us to say yes to you in greater and greater areas with greater and greater trust, Lord, that we might see greater works of your Spirit in our lives. And Father, help us not to elevate any good thing to the place of God. Help us to find in you the deepest needs that we have, Lord, being met. Help us to find our peace, our strength, our joy, our our worth, our dignity, our value, all of those things in you. And as we find them in you to release the burden from anyone else from having to give us those things so that we can enjoy people, we can enjoy relationships, we can enjoy the good things in life for what they're meant to be. They're meant to be blessings. They're not meant to be you. They're not meant to be a substitute for you. So Father, forgive us if we've put anyone in the place that only you should have. Reset our priorities if we've done that. And even now by your spirit, would you just speak to us if there's a word you want us to hear, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. 
When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.